0: Now, in your Bibles, we'll be reading from Judges, uh, Judges 11, starting at verse 29. So Judges 11, starting at verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jester, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed unto Mispa of Gilead. From and from Mispa of Gilead he passed unto the Ammonites. And Jethro made a vow to the Lord, and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jethro crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them. And the Lord gave them into his hand. And he struck them from Aroah to the neighborhood of Mineth, 20 cities and as far as Abel-Karamin, with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Then Jestar came to his home in Misbah. And behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dancers. He was his only, she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. And she said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, on the Ammonites. So she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone for two months, that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity, I and my companions. So he said, Go. Then he sent her away for two months, and she departed, she and her companions, and wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of the two months, she returned to her father, who did with her according to the vow he had made. She had never known a man, and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jethar, the Gideonite, four days in the year.
1: Thanks, Caleb. Uh be really good if you keep your Bible open there at Judges chapter 11. Uh, this is, I guess, a bit of a relaxed time of the year. Um, we take a break from some of the usual sermon series that we are doing. Uh, it's usually my plan to choose something nice and encouraging and light uh, to preach from on a Sunday, and uh, Judges 11 was where we landed this week, and uh, about Wednesday morning I was regretting that choice um, immensely. But we're gonna, uh, we're gonna get into it, uh, anyway. Um, if you're kind of new or newish here, there is a kids sheet. Um, it's on the welcome desk out there. It just helps, uh, some of our younger and maybe not so young people follow along, uh, with where we're heading in the sermon as well. So feel free to go and grab, uh, one of those. Uh, before we get in, let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do, uh, we thank you for your word. Our Lord God, we thank you for the parts that are really easy. Uh, and speak so wonderfully and clearly of your work, of the Lord Jesus Christ, of salvation, um, through his sacrifice. Um, we thank you that you make the gospel so clear in your word. But we also thank you for the parts that are harder, uh, the parts that make us think and challenge us, uh, make us consider what you are doing in your word and also in our lives. And we Pray, Father, that by your Holy Spirit, you would give us understanding uh, to your word this morning as we consider this passage. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Now, as a kid, uh, I read lots of different types of books. Uh, One of the types of books that I read uh, were books that were called Choose Your Own Adventure books. I don't know if anybody else uh, read those sort of books. Books where, as you go through the story, you get to make choices. About where you want the story to go, and you kind of end up with the finale or the final of your own making. Uh, This last few weeks, Netflix um, have released what is believed to be the first ever Choose Your Own movie. Uh, It's called Black Mirror. Uh, It's a movie whereby, through watching it at different points, you get to make choices about where you want the storyline to go. And depending on your choices, you could end up with any number of about a dozen different endings to this movie. Uh, Netflix say and critics say that this is a breakthrough in movie making. Uh, It sets uh, a pattern for movies to come. And it also more closely resembles real life, where we get to make up our own ending. We get to make our own choices. We say that because this is kind of the way that we view and we approach life. We consider life to be a choose your own adventure. We set the rules. We determine where things are going to go and how things are going to determine. Choosing your own adventure is something to aspire to. It's considered great freedom to be able to make your own choices in life. It's said to be the mark of a matured society where everybody can choose their own adventure, where everybody can choose their own way of life and of living. Maybe that's how we are approaching 2019. Maybe 2019 is just another part of our choose-your-own-adventure life, where we get to make the choices, where we get to determine the outcome. Well, if you want to know what a choose-your-own-adventure life looks like, if you want to know what it looks like when an entire society lives by choose your own adventure, then the book of Judges in the Old Testament is a pretty good place to start. They had choose your own adventure. In, in fact, that's exactly how the book ends. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Well, you might think, what, how wonderful. What a utopia when everybody can do what's right in their own eyes. Well, that's not the conclusion that the book of Judges comes up with. It's not written that way as a boast, something to be proud of, an accomplishment. It's actually written as a condemnation. You see, the book of Judges tells the story of the steady decline to everybody choosing their own adventure. From a godly nation, under God, with godly leaders, to a nation that is basically pagan, to a nation where everybody is simply doing what is right in their own eyes. And this story, this story of Jephthah, his vow, and his daughter, is a part of that decline. It's a big step towards that final conclusion. Now we have to admit that this, this is a difficult story to wrestle with. It's difficult to understand uh, what is going on. It's difficult to understand the God who is in Judges chapter 11. And it raises some big questions for us. But most of all, it is a story which holds up a mirror to us, a mirror of what happens when people, a society, a church even, choose their own adventure. What becomes of us when everybody does what is right in their own eyes. Anyway, with that said, let's dive in. And we're starting there in verse 29. The story actually starts uh, in quite a good place in verse 29. It starts, if you have a look there, with the Spirit of the Lord upon Jephthah. Jephthah is the judge of the time. Uh, he's the current judge in a long line of judges, uh, rescuers, they're saviors, they're deliverers that God uses to rescue his people, his people Israel. They've come about, he's come about because Israel. Once again has abandoned the Lord God and is worshipping the false gods and the foreign gods of the nations around about them. They have cried out to God to rescue them, to save them, and God has handed them, because God has handed them over to their enemies. Now this is the pattern that reoccurs again and again throughout the book of Judges. God's people Israel, they rebel. They worship false gods, foreign gods. They cry, God hands them over to a foreign power who basically conquer them, who put them under their yoke. They cry out to God for a deliverer, for a rescuer, for a judge. And God, through one of these judges, brings them deliverance once again. That's the pattern that reoccurs over and over again. Now, in this time, which starts back in chapter 10, there are two differences to that pattern. The first one is basically at the end of chapter 10, God has said he's not going to do it. God has said to them, I'm sorry, after 18 years of worshipping foreign gods, I'm not going to rescue you this time. The second difference, and it's because of the first one, is this time the people choose their own deliverer. They choose their own judge. Now, their choice in judge is very interesting. It's this man called Jephthah. Jephthah is interesting because he's basically an illegitimate son. A son that all the legitimate sons kicked out of town. He went off and he lived probably in what is modern day Syria under foreign rule, under with foreign gods. And if you read the start of chapter 11, he was basically the leader of a gang of thugs. This is like the stuff of movies. Bad boy, kicked out of home, develops a certain set of skills doing what is wrong, which all of a sudden are in high demand in Israel. They need a leader who is not afraid to get his hands dirty. And so they call on Jephthah, come and Deliver us. Be our judge. Be our saviour. Now we might think at this point, this is doomed to fail. I mean, how could this work? They choose their own judge. They choose a rogue, basically a criminal, and he's going to come and lead them. And just while we think that, all of a sudden things are actually looking on the up. If you read through the first part of chapter 11, almost everything that Jephthah does is actually the right thing. He appear, he knows the Lord. He says, at the start of chapter 11, he says, if the Lord gives the Ammonites to me. He says, when when he's making a deal with the people about being their leader, he says, the Lord is witness before us. It says there that he spoke all these words before the Lord. When he then tries to negotiate peace with the Ammonites, He then gives this amazing recounting of Israel's history, which is completely God-centered. He says, it's the Lord who gave us this land. We're not going to give it back because the Lord is the one who was given to us. And then the icing comes on the cake here in verse 29. The Spirit of the Lord was on Jephthah. One of only four judges where this is said to be the case. He then goes out, and if you read the next couple of verses, he goes out and he he goes around the, the tribes in the local area, and he gathers together an army. And just about as he's about to go out to battle, he makes this, on the surface, incredibly faithful vow to God. If you give them into my hands, I will give you whatever meets me at my front door back to you as a sacrifice. And what happens? God gives him the victory. Have a look there at verse 32. Look what it says. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them. And what happens? And the Lord gave them into his hands. God gives him the victory. He then conquers 20 cities. Hang on. That sounds an awful lot like somebody else who went before. That sounds a lot like Joshua. Here we've got a leader who's actually starting to look and sound and do things like the great leader before him, Joshua, did. At the end of verse 33, so the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Now, we, we have to deal with some pretty tricky stuff in a moment. But before we do that, we need to notice something. How incredibly gracious and merciful is God here to his people Israel? How absolutely faithful. In spite of their unfaithfulness. 18 years, it said in chapter, it said in chapter 10. 18 years, they abandoned him and they worshipped false gods. They worshipped idols. They were involved in all sorts of pagan practices. They choose their own deliverer. They choose a criminal to be that one. And look at how God deals with them. He delivers them. He uses that criminal to bring them freedom. He uses that awful situation to rescue his people. And how often is it that that's exactly how you and I experience God as well. So incredibly gracious and so incredibly merciful and so incredibly kind to us in spite of what we do. Think of some of the, think of some of the foolish decisions that, that we make in our lives. Think about some of the downright rebellious decisions that you and I make in our lives. And how does God how does God treat us, His own? He treats us as loved children. How often does He save us, rescue us from those awful decisions that we make? How often does He spare us the worst of the consequences of of the awful things that you and I do? How often does he even turn? our sinfulness and our rebellion into something that is actually good for us. Maybe that's been your experience lately. Maybe, maybe you've come through a time where um, you kind of threw it back in God's face for a while. And yet, He was absolutely merciful and kind and saved us. And brought us back to himself. Maybe maybe you're actually in the middle of that at the moment. Maybe this is actually the time when you're making those decisions. Doing your own thing. Choosing your own adventure. And wondering what on earth God is going to do with you. Well here we see a God who is merciful and kind and generous even to rebels who sees people through Christ and his life and his death and treats his own as loved children maybe there's somebody in our lives at the moment that we know is going through a time like this might be a friend might be a child, a relative. We see them making, making bad choices, bad decisions. We worry. We worry about them and their future. But let's remember there is a God who is merciful and kind and who knows his own. He knows those who are his children. And he knows how to rescue them even out of the most awful and horrible and rebellious of situations. He knows and he loves those who are his own. Now if the story finished here, it would be great. We'd be out of here by 11. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? We could apply it further and then we could go home. But it doesn't. And unfortunately, the story gets a whole lot more difficult from here. Because you remember that vow? That vow that Jephthah makes? Well, that vow is about to come home to roost. Verse 34. Then Jephthah came home to his home at Mizpah. And behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. All of a sudden, Jephthah is thinking, what on earth have I done? As he promised to God that he would sacrifice the very first thing that came out to meet him. But then we start to think a little bit about that vow. And we ask the question, what was Jephthah thinking? What did he think was going to come and meet him out the front door? The kitchen table? A wardrobe? Maybe the family dog? And then we realize that Jephthah probably had in mind a human sacrifice all along. Maybe it was a stray goat or a chicken that was going to come out. But most likely, it was going to be one of his servants. But it's his not. It's his daughter. His only daughter. Now, if you read commentators here, uh, and there's a lot of them, and they've all got an opinion, If you read commentators and people who write about this passage, there's one of two ways that you can basically go from here. It's got to choose your own adventure uh, reading the Bible. Uh, One way is to say, well, Jephthah is basically a good guy. He's a good guy. I mean, he's mentioned in Hebrews 11 as someone who had faith, along with all those other people, and we'll have to deal with that one uh, in a moment. Uh, but he's basically a good guy. He he honors God. He never intended a human sacrifice. He kind of got caught out. And he kind of, if you twist the Hebrew a little bit, he didn't really intend to sacrifice. He intended to sacrifice an animal on behalf of whatever came out to meet him. And so basically what you say is, well, one of two things. Uh, either Jephthah then keeps his daughter unmarried for the rest of her life, Sort of locked up at home, and that's why she goes and weeps for her virginity for two months on the mountainside. Um, Or you say that Jephthah is such a faithful man of God that even though he made this horrible vow, he still carries it out. And he does, he does kill her. And it shows how genuine his faith really is. Now, if you go down this path, you avoid a whole lot of issues. So it's quite nice. It's quite attractive. I mean, You don't have to deal with the fact that God seems to maybe approve of a little girl being sacrificed. Um, You don't have to deal with the fact that Jephthah is under the influence of the Holy Spirit and then he makes a vow which ends up with him killing uh, his own daughter. Um, Jephthah basically becomes a hero of faith. You can wear a WWJD bracelet. What would Jephthah do? Uh, And you can wear it without compromising yourself. He becomes just a cautionary tale about Making vows too rashly. It would be nice to go in that direction. Uh, But I don't think that we can. Um, It's simply not what God's word says happens. And it doesn't fit with where the story of Judges is going. The book of Judges is a race. To the bottom. Remember that last line. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And every time the book of Judges goes through the cycle of rebellion, crying out, rescuing, worshipping false gods, it gets worse and worse. The level of paganism, of godlessness in Israel gets worse each time. The amount of time they spend away from God gets longer and longer. The time that the judges are judging them rightly gets shorter and shorter. And the main feature of it is that each judge gets worse than the one before. Now, the very bottom rung of judges, that's Samson. He's the next one. We tend to make a bit of a hero out of Samson. He's an absolute rogue. And Jephthah is not much better. Jephthah makes a vow that most likely implies human sacrifice. He makes a vow to God, but let's be clear here. Um, He is not inspired by the Holy Spirit when he does so. The Holy Spirit comes upon him as it does three other judges. And the work of that Holy Spirit is to equip them and to enable them to lead God's people into deliverance, into rescue. None of the four judges who have the Holy Spirit are not accountable for their actions, and none of them are 100% good godly leaders. And if we question how somebody with the Holy Spirit can do something awful, then all I suggest you and I do is take an honest look in the mirror. Jephthah is not a nice guy. He makes a vow, which most likely implies human sacrifice. He realizes what he has done and he tears his clothes, but then he doesn't do anything to stop it. His daughter goes out for two months into the hills. Two months in which Jephthah can consider his position. Two months in which he could look at Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 31, which says that human sacrifice is abhorrent to God. Two months in which he could look up Leviticus chapter 5, verses 4 to 6, which talk about how somebody who makes a rash vow can get out of it. But he doesn't. Why not? Because as much as Jephthah recognizes the Lord, Jephthah at the same time is pagan. He makes a pagan vow and he fulfills that pagan vow. All the gods around about like human sacrifice. Why wouldn't the Lord God of Israel like a human sacrifice? And as much as we should be disgusted and horrified, that he kills his own daughter, we should be just as horrified that in the next chapter he will then slaughter 42,000 of his fellow countrymen. Basically for insulting him and his honor. Make no mistake, uh, we are meant to be horrified by this story. God's people, then and now, are meant to be so disgusted by this man and by what he does. God's people then and now are meant to ask the question, how on earth did it get to this point? How on earth did we get here? But you know what the issue is? They didn't. They didn't ask the question. They weren't horrified. Within a very short space of time, they will have forgotten the Lord God who rescued them. They will be worshipping those same gods around about them. They will be going on their merry way with pagan gods and with pagan practices. Can you see what God has done here? God has given Israel a rescuer who looks exactly like them. A hundred percent. They have a deliverer who is true Israelite. He looks exactly like they do. He is holding up a mirror to them saying, this is what it looks like when you choose your own adventure, when you go your own way. You end up with a rescuer of your own making that looks like you do. You end up with a rescuer who makes a vow for a human sacrifice and ends up killing his own daughter. This is what choose your own adventure ends up looking like. This is what choose your own adventure looks like in our world, doesn't it? We see this repeated night after night on our news. What our world looks like when everybody chooses Their own adventure. This is what choose your own adventure looks like in our lives, in your life and my life. This is what it looks like when 2019 becomes a year that we will choose our own way. We will focus on the things that make us happy. When we will ignore and abandon God and the things that he says are good and right for us. This is what happens in a life that chooses its own adventure. This man is a mirror by which we see our own lives and our own sin and rebellion. Does God kill this little girl? No, he doesn't. In the same way... No, he doesn't. But he does allow it. In the same way that he will allow the 42,000 to be killed in the next chapter. In the same way that he allows the evil consequences of sin throughout our world. In the same way that he allows you and I To experience the consequences, earthly consequences, of our own sin from time to time. Does he stand impassionately by while she is put to death? No, he doesn't. He grieves. He grieves over sin and over the evil consequences of sin. He does that throughout scripture but in his grieving he plays the long game he plays the long game that will bring about an ultimate rescue through an ultimate deliverer he plays the long game for the end of sin and rebellion. For the end of the consequences of sin and rebellion. He plays the long game for a rescuer not of our own making, of our own choosing, not a saviour that looks like us, not one who is deeply flawed, not one who sacrifices his own daughter. The one who sacrifices his own life. Remember how this book ends. Everyone does what is right in their own lives. The next book of the Bible is the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth ends with a slightly more positive note, it ends with a family line that is going to end with David the king. The next book of the Bible is going to start with one set, is one Samuel. And it's going to start with the birth of Samuel, the last judge and the first, another prophet, who will begin by anointing a choose your own adventure king in Saul, but then will anoint the man after God's own heart, who is David. The one whom all this is pointing to, David points to as well. The one who comes as not the the flawed, but the flawless Savior. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Who comes not sacrificing anyone else, but laying down his own life. And why? So that sinners and rebels, like Jephthah, like me, like us, can be forgiven and know mercy and grace and forgiveness and can be brought home to God even even people like Jephthah. The hardest part about this passage is not from the passage itself. It comes from Hebrews chapter eleven, where Jephthah is listed amongst all the people who by faith who by faith waited for what God was doing. We think how can a rogue like Jephthah be on that list? But then we look at the rest of the list and we ask, how can anybody be on that list? They're on that list. Not by their works, but by grace. They're there because in their faith, they bear witness to the God of grace and mercy who has always been about the work of rescuing sinners. Of bringing rebels. Into his kingdom. They are there. Not because they deserved it. But by grace. They trusted in the promises of God. And for all his flaws. And for all his sin. And for all his rebellion. Even Jephthah. Is included in that list. When we hold up these verses, as a mirror, we see our own sin and our rebellion. Our tendencies to choose our own adventure, to go our own way. What a choose your own adventure life looks like. And at the same time, we see the grace and the kindness and the mercy of God in Christ. Who's always been about the work of rescuing rebels? Who's always been showing kindness to sinners? Let's pray to him, shall we? Heavenly Father, we we recognize how easy it is to come before you and to stand before you and To think that we've got it all together. To look down on a character like Jephthah and feel so easy to judge him. and We feel so self-righteous standing next to him. Uh, But Lord God, we recognize that we look far too much like him. And we're far too ready to choose our own path rather than your path. And so, Lord God, we we pray for your mercy and your grace, that we might see ourselves as we really are before you. And at the same time, we might see the wonderful mercy and love of our Savior Jesus. We might see the enormity of the sacrifice that he makes for us, that we might live in the wonder of grace. In Jesus' name, amen.